from Romans chapter 11. Uh, I want to read verse 32 through 36 from the passage translation. It says this, Actually, God considers all of humanity be, to be prisoners of their unbelief so that he can unlock our hearts and show his tender mercies to all who will come to him. And now what we're just saying, all who are weary, all who are thirsty. Verse 33, who could, who could ever wrap their minds around the riches of God? The depth of his wisdom and the marvel of his perfect knowledge. Who could ever explain the wonder of his decisions or search out the mysterious way he carries out his plans? For who has discovered how the Lord thinks or is wise enough to be the one to advise him of, in his plans? Verse 35. Or who has ever first given something to God that obligates God to owe him something in return? And because God is the source and sustainer of everything, everything finds fulfillment in him. May all praise and honor be given to him forever. Amen. May all praise and honor be given to him forever. Amen. You know, I shared last week that I want to begin talking about, over the next few weeks, we're going to start talking about stewardship. And when you start talking about stewardship, immediately people start talking about, start thinking about money. But before we go there, I want to go where I think we have to go, and that's the book of beginnings, which is Genesis, in case you were wondering. <laughs> Genesis, that's what it literally means, the book of beginnings. And there we see that God... Uh, enabled man or established man is a better word to be stewards in genesis chapter 1 verse 26 then god said let us make man in our image according to our likeness let them have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air and over the cattle over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth Sorry, I was listening to Creflo Dollar teach the other day, and he said, see there, girls, you've got authority over creeps. <laughs> I couldn't help it. It was there. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them. Is that awesome? God made them in his image, then he blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of, of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed uh, to you, it shall be food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Then God saw everything that he made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the, the morning were the sixth day. Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. Then God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Just say lie that for a minute. 
God planted a garden. What do you think that was like? I mean, really? God planted a garden and gave it to man. What man? The man that he had blessed. So he, had, he said, here, I've, done, I've made the garden. I've blessed you. I've equipped you to take care of the garden. Now go enjoy it. That's a pretty sweet deal, right? It's, a, it's just like when he told the children of Israel, when you come out of Egypt, out of bondage, I've got a land prepared for you that giants prepared for you. How cool is that, right? We will, we will look at the giants just as they did, and we go, yeah, God, but there's big people in there. It's easy for me to understand that, <laughs> big people. <laughs> Thank you, Diana. You can appreciate me. I've said several times today, I look at the young men around the church that used to be here to me, and now they're here to me, and it's just not right. They're everywhere, scattered throughout the auditorium, so I can't miss them. <laughs> but there were giants in the land, and the children of Israel, except for two, Joshua and Caleb. The others saw giants. Joshua and Caleb saw provision. And we talked about that the other day. Caleb said in his 80s, give me my mountain. He didn't just want the plain. He said, give me the mountain that's promised to me at 80 years old. The one full of giants. Why? Because he knew the provision that was already there, that God had already given him into his hand. All he had to do was go possess what God had given him. And he was ready to steward what God had given him. He said, all right, I watched all the rebellious die. Now I'm ready to inherit what's mine. <laughs> that was pretty much his life for 40 years, right? And he said, but I'm not distracted. I'm not dissuaded. I know what God has promised that he is faithful. Think, think about that. If that's the core of our value system, if that's the core of our belief system as Christians, as quote unquote believers, is that what we were saying earlier, that God is good, that he created us, he created us in his image and he blessed us. Then what is too big? If with that perspective, what can be too big for the God who created it? As it said, as we started in Romans, he said this, he said, who has ever first given something to God that obligates God to owe him something in return? See, God created it. God planted a garden. I just say a lot on that for a while. I meditated on that. What would it be like to walk, as man to walk into that garden that God planted? That'd be pretty sweet to go in and see what God had provided, the, the abundance that he had. And he said, look, here's the way I set it up. Everything that you see is going to produce after itself. So all you have to do is go and steward what I've given you. You don't have to make it happen. All you have to do is steward, watch over what's already going to happen because I put the power inside of it to continue to happen. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's thinking awesome is what that is. And he's the same. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So there's nothing that we can do that prompts God to respond to us. All we do is respond to his goodness and his grace because that's who he is. He's before us. He created us, and he set this whole thing in motion, and that's what it said there. And because God is the source and sustainer of everything, uh, uh, the source of, of everything, everything finds fulfillment in him. May all praise and honor be given to him forever and ever. Amen. So our privilege as people on the earth is to steward what God's entrusted us with. And the first thing 
out the gate, the first thing that we're responsible for stewarding is our lives. The first thing we're responsible for stewarding is our lives, is to say, Jesus, here's me, because God, you gave me everything when you gave me Jesus. So my goal in life is to be a good steward of what you've placed in, uh, in me and you've placed here for me. And in Genesis, we see that God created it. He created man in his image. And he said, all you have to do is steward it. And that's what he said right here. He said, I've given you, God bless them. He said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish. See, that was God's original plan. There was already an enemy that had tried to exalt himself above the Lord and he got cast down and he was here and he was darkness. And he said, I've created you. I planted you a garden. Now what you do is you go from here and you take over the whole earth. Amen. That was God's plan. He said, I've created you. I've blessed you. I've given you everything you need. Now you have dominion over everything that's on the earth. Now, take, now multiply. Because what was he saying? As they... In being in the image of God, if there was darkness and there was around, uh, and what I mean by darkness, the enemy, he said, what I want you to do, I've given you authority to reproduce after your kind so that you can steward what I've placed in your hands and you'll take over the whole earth. See, God's idea for creating man was heaven on earth. That's why when Jesus came and prayed the, paid the price that he did, he gave us that authority back. And we'll get to that in a minute. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But verse 29 in Genesis 1, he said, I have given you every, 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 every is how it follows. I have given you every, 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 every. That's pretty awesome. And he said, now it's your opportunity to steward it. So we have provision. The Lord planted a garden. <laughs> 2 Peter 1, 2 and 3 says, all things that pertain to life of godliness have already been given to us through the knowledge of him. So just like he planted the garden, said everything you're going to need is there and it's going to reproduce after its kind. The Lord planted the garden, then he placed them in the garden. He said, now your responsibility in the garden is this, to tend and keep. So God gives each of us gifts and it's our privilege to steward those gifts. And those gifts don't necessarily mean preaching and teaching. It means giftings. Every one of us have giftings in us and it's our responsibility, our privilege to steward it. Psalms 24 verse 1 says this, the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. So there's nothing outside the scope of what God has already given that we're just to steward. Are you with me? I want to make the case that God is bigger than us. And he's, I, he said, I've blessed you and I've get, equipped you to do what I've called you to do. The Lord, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Psalms 50 verse 9 through 15 I want to lay some foundation, then, then I'm going to go somewhere. <laughs> Psalms 50, verse 9 through 15. Do I, need, uh, do I need your young bulls or goats from your fields? This is the Passion Translation. From your fields as if I, were hung, if I was hungry. So he's talking about their sacrifices. And if you read that in the context, the first part of that, he's talking about, you know, he said, I've got some stuff that I need to talk to you about. And here's one of the things I need to talk to you about. Do you think that the sacrifice is required because I'm hungry? <laughs> okay. Verse, uh, start, verse 10. Every animal of the field and the forest belong to me, the creator. 
I know every movement of the birds in the sky and every animal of the field is in my thoughts. The entire world and everything it contains is mine. In the New King James and the King James, I think it says that I own the cattle on a thousand hills. He, he's got provision. If I were hungry, do you think I would tell you? I love that. That's, I'm sorry. That's so awesome. God, and I love this translation because that's just how I could see it. I could see God saying it. If I were hungry, do you think I would tell you? For all that I have created, the fullness of the earth is mine. Am I fed by your sacrifices? Of course not. Why don't you bring me the sacrifice I desire? Bring me your true and sincere thanks and show your gratitude by keeping your promises to me, the Most High. Honor, honor me by trusting me in your day of trouble. Cry aloud to me, and I will be there to rescue you. <laughs> he said, I don't need your sacrifices because I'm hungry. I don't need you to kill things for me because I can't, ha I'm, I can't provide for myself. He said, the fullness of the earth, again, just as it said in Psalms 24, the fullness of the earth is mine. Why don't you bring me the sacrifices I desire? What is that? To show gratitude by keeping your promises to me. So live a thankful, a gracious life, acknowledging that he is a good father, and he said, by keeping our promises to him. That's what he desires, is a life that says, God, here I am. That Romans 12, 1 and 2, I... Uh, I'll quote it from the King James because that's how I, I memorized it in Bible college. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. First Corinthians, I know this is a lot of scriptures. That's a good thing. We're in church. We ought to hear the Bible. First Corinthians chapter 4, verses uh, 1 and 2 says this, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. What are these mysteries of God that Paul was talking about? Paul had been given the revelation that it was by grace, through faith, that we were born into the family of God, that we were no longer servants, but we were sons, right? We're no longer servants, that we're sons. It was a mystery because the, the religious world didn't understand it, couldn't comprehend it. That's why they killed Jesus. They, didn't, they couldn't understand the mystery of the church, and that's what Paul's talking about. And he said, it's our privileges as sons and daughters to steward this mystery that we can be born again, that we're not under the slavery of religion, that we can be born into the family of God. That's good news. And he said, we have the privilege to steward that. So, so think about this for a minute. How we steward our lives determines how we steward the mysteries of God. How we steward our lives and how we represent Jesus, not just because we come to church and do, you know, do good, 
But how we steward our lives determines how we steward the mysteries of God. That God, the gift that God has given us of eternal life, it's not for us to hold and to bury. This gift is for us to share. Get ahead of myself. Slow down. Steward the mysteries of God. Look at verse 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. He said, the one thing that's required of a steward is that he's faithful. So what is a steward? Just that word steward. The steward is one who manages the affairs of another in life and service indeed. A steward is one who manages the affairs of another. A steward, uh, you know, we don't see it much now. We see it more in business. You see, a CFO is a steward of a major corporation. They determine and they, Give out, I just went blank on the word. I was trying to sound intelligent, and I just shot that down, didn't I? <laughs> they handle the affairs of the business is what they do. They write the bills. They determine where the money's going and how it needs to be spent. They don't just, they're not just the people who sit up there and have a big title that talks about they know something about money. They, their job is to determine what's the best place to put the money so that for the strength and the longevity of the company. So they're stewards, and if they're not faithful, you know what happens? They get fired. You, if you have a steward, that, especially of a major corporation, they, they see million, billions of dollars. And if they lose sight of the fact that it's not theirs just because they get to determine where it goes, if they lose sight of it, in our country, you go to jail. Other countries, you just die. They just kill you. In our country, you go to jail. You see it all the time. You see it in... In the news, you see it. Uh, I mean, it was someone who lived close to where Tina worked. They did that in a company here in Burlington and went to prison for it because they, they thought, hey, this money's nice. They'll never miss it. I'll take a little for me. They were bad stewards. So I just say it in the context of money because it's easy to understand in that area because we understand if something comes in and I'm responsible for it, but it's not mine, I'm stewarding it. First Corinthians chapter six, verse 19 and 20 says this, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? Wow. You are not your own for you were bought with a bulk at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You're bought with a price, point blank. As a believer, as a Christian who says, Jesus, I want you to forgive me of my sins. It's not just that we get a ticket to go to heaven. We've been purchased. We've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus. And for that, he said, our reasonable service is to present our bodies a living sacrifice, Romans 12. But here Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I might just give you a bunch of scriptures, say go home and meditate on it, and I'll preach next week. 
Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. That's good stuff. This straight word. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to who? The church? To all men. Teaching us what? That denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live how? Soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. All right, stop. Hold on. I love the order that it's in. Because he said this, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So he starts by saying this, what you have, you have how? By grace, right? It's not by what you do. Are you with me? It's not your, your willingness to live soberly and righteously and godly that gets you in. It's you're in, and as a result of being in, here's what it looks like. That's part of stewarding your life is saying, God, you paid a high price for me. I am not my own, so I give myself back to you. And see, here's the beauty of that. It's not just I lay my life down to be a a sacrifice that I'll die for the gospel. Sometimes what God is saying is I need you to live for it because there's people who need to hear. Are those who are martyred for the kingdom? Yes, there are. That's a reality still in the world today, happening around the world. There are those who lay down their life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. They will not deny that he is Lord and they live in countries where that's not accepted. And I'm not gonna peddle fear or anything like that. That's not my job. My job is this. He paid a price for me that no matter what, I'm his and he is mine. And it's my privilege now to steward this life. But see, we, if we see ourselves as owners, then we'll act totally different. If I see myself as the owner of this body and what takes place in this body, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to do whatever it takes to make this body, this mind, this will, these emotions to feel happy and satisfied. Because after all, it's all about me. It's all about me. It's it's all about me, right? That's, That's the song we sing in our minds and our head. Well, I had to do this because it's about me. Yeah, I know I gave this person my word, but it's not going to be good for me. That turned out different than I thought it was, so I'm just going to change. See, stewarding my life says that I'm a man of God that swears to my own hurt, and I change not. As I've been meditating on this and on what stewardship really looks like in every area of my life, stewarding as the pastor of a church, stewarding my life personally, my time outside of here, stewarding my affairs with people, that I would do it in a way that's soberly, that's righteously, Uh, in the eyes of the Lord and in those around me, I've had to evaluate things and go, okay, I don't want this to be taken the wrong way. And gone into people where we had talked about maybe a business deal and said, well, maybe not sure yet, and then changed our direction. Uh, Tina and I, we went back to them and said, look, did we tell you, yes, that we would do this? They said, no, you said you were going to think about it. Okay, because we're not going to do it. (laughs) But I wanted to make sure I didn't tell you I was because if I told you I was, I'm going to do it. Even if it's not beneficial for me, what I wanted to do, and it was a substantial amount of money for us, I would, 
I told her, I said, I can't move forward. I can't see the Lord and be meditating on the Lord saying about Todd, everything you have is mine and you're stewarding it. And that's, that's your testimony. That's your relationship with people around you, how you react. Because see, I bought you. I paid a high price for you. And I've asked you to live for me. That doesn't mean you have to sell everything and go to Africa. Sometimes that would be easier than living for him right here. Sometimes people look at missions and they do it with grandeur and they think, well, I can go over there and I don't have to deal with anything that I have to deal with right here. <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> That's a lie. You may not have the same boss or things like that, but life is going to be there just like it is here. And what we're required, what's required of a steward is that he be found faithful. You know, here's what's so beautiful about God. God would never call Sam to steward what he's put in my hand. He's going, to call Sam, he's going to call Sam to steward what's in his hand. That's my time, my attention, my, my direction. And so as I've been meditating on this and saying, God, I, I really want to be that one that's, that, that hears, well done, you good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of your Lord. It's not about what's, a, what's acquired or anything like that. I want to represent my father well. You know, I meant to share this last week, and, and I didn't with it being Father's Day last week. That was last week, right? <laughs> Father's Day last week, I was listening to uh, teaching, and they were talking about fathers. And one of the things they said this is that in natural birth, uh, the woman has the X chromosome. The man has the X and the Y so that the father, when, when uh, conception takes place, the father determines the identity of the child. <laughs> Amen. That's not a man thing. I'm saying Jesus was born of a virgin. All she had was the X, and God gave the Y the why he came, and the why he could do what he did. God gave the why. The seed came from him, and he, he was the sinless lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. God was his father. So Jesus, when he was on earth, he knew because who his dad was that he could do what his dad had told him to do. He understood his identity. Think about that. The identity of the child comes from the father. Who's your daddy? If we understand who our father is, he's the one who created us. He's the one who provided for us. He's the one who blessed us. He said, I'm your dad, and I'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's my dad. And he said, now what I want you to do is steward what I have. See, we, we've kind of lost that in, in the context of a father-son stewarding, mentoring uh, thing because in the culture that the Bible was written, the, the father normally was a tradesman, and what he would do is he would apprentice his son. His son would learn the trade. And when he became 13 and of age, then that son would have either the ring of the father or something like that. So when he went to town, say Jesus was a carpenter, when he was 13 years old, when he went to town to get wood or things to do his carpentry, he went in the name of his father on the earth. Are you with me? And he went in the name of his father. So when he went to do business, no longer they look, oh, well, that's Joseph's boy. No, it was just like Joseph was there himself because 
He carried the authority of his father. Jesus understood that because he knew his identity. Did you ever meditate or think about the thing that before Jesus ever created, did his first miracle or anything like that, before he went into uh, the wilderness to be tempted, when he was baptized, he came up out of the water. What did his father say? This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. God, again, spoke into Jesus' identity. He said, you're my son, and I'm pleased with you. He hadn't done anything yet. In the context of supernatural, miraculous, he hadn't done any of those things. He had grown up, is all. And God said, I'm pleased with you. Man, it, it goes right with Titus here. He said, it's the grace of God that brings salvation to us. And he said, because he did that, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Hallelujah. In the present age, right here, right now, where we are, he said, you should live soberly and righteously. We should live godly. We should steward our lives in a way that when people look at us, they go, there's something different about you. You shine like a light. There's something different about you. You know why? Not because you're all that in a bag of chips, but because God is in you and he's the te- you're the temple of the living God. Holy Spirit lives in you. And he said, I've equipped you to succeed at whatever you put your hand to. That's pretty good. Titus goes on and says this in chapter three, verses one through seven. Remind them, to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one. Aren't you glad this comes by grace? I'm just saying. To speak evil evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. (laughs) He said, that's who we used to be. (laughs) Help me, Jesus. Y'all ever been to church? (sighs) Hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, who he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Therefore, having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to hope, to the hope of eternal life. Amen. God bless you. Let's pray. Uh, Not yet. Almost. He says the first one. It's my first closing. That was just a joke, so it doesn't count. He said, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness which we've done. Do you think he wants us to understand something? It's a grace thing. This is the mystery that we get to steward that no longer is it is thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. From now on, it's Jesus did. Jesus finished what God empowered him to do. What Jesus did is this. 
is he gave back to man that which God created for man, that God, when God blessed man and said, now here's the earth, subdue it and take over it. Right? That's what God did. That's what he did for us. And he said here, not of works of righteousness, which we've done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Don't let any man think that he's going to do anything and cause God to have to respond to what he did. Romans 11, 35. God said, I've done this. I've made provision for you. I've given you everything that you need. What I desire of you is to steward what I've entrusted you with. When he came out of hell, he said he took captivity captive and he gave gifts unto men. I'm not going to read this passage and you don't have to say amen. But Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. I'm not going to read it. But this is uh, the parable of the talents. It said, it's like a man traveling. Uh, I'll just read the, pers- the first verse or two. For the kingdom of heaven. I didn't, I'm not going to read it all. Don't me. I feel pressure. For the kingdom of heaven. It's not God. The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. To the one he gave five talents, to the other two, and to another one. So it says, it's like a man who was traveling to a far country. And what he did is he gave talents to his servants, to his stewards. Same word. I want you to know, first and foremost, the talent that God has given you is your life. Did you hear me? Don't be distracted. They're getting ready for communion. They're not not bouncers or anything. (laughs) It's the last Sunday of the month. We're going to do communion in just a moment. They're just getting ready for communion. Everything's good. Everybody's safe. We're in a warm, happy place. Everything is lovely. Not so warm, but happy place. If it was warm, I wouldn't be happy. (laughs) Just kidding. He said, there's a man. He's traveling to a far country. He said, this is what the kingdom is like. There's a man. Listen, do you hear the symbolism? There's a man who's traveling to another kingdom. And before he left, he said, I've got stuff I need to give people to manage while I'm gone. Now, I'm going to tell you the first and foremost of what he gives, the talent that he gives, number one, is life to you. So this talent, this parable, what he's talking about, the first two are people who are believers. The last one is an unbeliever. If you've ever struggled about that last one who didn't do anything with the talent and he was thrown out into darkness and the gnashing of teeth, God gave life to every person. He's created everything and all that exists is the fullness through the, from the fullness of him. So every person on the earth, whether they acknowledge Jesus or not, they have life because God allowed it. And that life that they have, they have to steward. In context, Matthew 25 here, if you look, there's the parable of the virgins and then there's uh, this one and the one after it, uh, We'll look and tell you what it is. So somebody don't say, man, you know, he was pretty good to the end. Then he started misquoting scripture and he just lost me. So I, I can't, I had to throw out everything he said. <laughs> yeah, I'm, y'all laughing. I know. I know people. Not our people, but I know people. The parable of the talents. And then after that is, uh, it, it goes through the talents through verse 29 and, then, and 30. Verse 31, he it says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and holy angels, 
uh, he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them, the, uh, the sheep and the goats. So in the context of this, what you want you to understand is he's talking about the wise versions and the foolish versions. He's talking here about the talents, and then he talks about the sheep and the goats. So he's making a contrast between believers and unbelievers in the whole context of this chapter. Are you with me? So that's what he's talking about. Those virgins, those 10 virgins, every one of them had a vessel, but only five of them had filled. Only five of them had Holy Spirit on the inside of them. The other five said, no, we're good. You know, people like that. Yeah, I'm not like an, an atheist, but I'm okay right now. I'll wait till later. You know, I, I want to sow my wild oats. That's stupid. I'm sorry. That's just... Sweet as I can be, it's just stupid. Been there, done that, scars, all of it. No, stupid. I don't hate you. I'm just being real. I love you. It's stupid. They, they, they have a vessel, but they don't have it filled with him. Then we get here in the talents. There's the 10 talents. That's why I said earlier, I said, God's not gonna require at Sam's hand the talents he's placed in me. What did he tell Moses? When he said, you go deliver my people, Moses said, I can't do that. How am I supposed to do that? He said, what you got in your hand? A stick, throw it down. Ha, yeah, that's a snake. I thought it was a stick. It's a snake. He said, pick it up. Pick it up by the tail. You know, that's significant. You never, any guys ever play with snakes or girls? That end's not the one you want to go for, okay? That's not the end. When we lived in the house that we had big rocks down the driveway and you pick up a rock and there'd be a whole family of them right there. And I'd pick them up right behind the head, because they can't get you. That tail can't do anything but wrap around you. But the other end, no bueno. Moses said, I want you to rely on me. What you had in your hand was just a stick, but I want to show you who I am. He said, you grab it, not your sufficiency, not your skill, your ability, you grab it by the tail. And it turned back into a stick. He asked Moses, what do you have in your hand? So he, he gave the 10, I mean, he gave the uh, five, not 10, it ended up 10, I'm sorry. He gave the five, he gave the two, and he gave the one. And as you read that, all he required of them is what they did with the talents they were given. How did they steward what God placed in their hand? And the same is true for you. You're not accountable with my life or the life of your neighbor. You are your family. What you're accountable with is what God's given you. I, w I was reading an illustration of D.L. Moody, who's one of my heroes in the faith. You know, I shared before, D.L. Moody was walking with a man. He was a shoe salesman from Chicago. He wasn't a theologian. He was a shoe salesman from Chicago. And he was walking with a guy, and the guy said, you know, it's yet to be seen what God can do with a man who's fully sold out to him. And D.L. Moody stopped, and he said, I'm going to be that man. And he's one of the leading revivalists of, of the ever. But D.L. Moody was, shared, was speaking, and uh, a man was critiquing his messages and a listener to D.L. Moody was most critical of his grammar and reprimanded him for it. My dear fellow, Moody replied, I wish my grammar were better. I wish I had a better, better <laughs> amen, me too, Moody. I wish I had a better education, but I am using all the grammar I have for the glory of God. Are you doing as much with yours? What did he say? I might not be the most eloquent speaker, but what I'm doing is I'm giving everything I have for him. Are you doing the same? And you know what? Many times it's not. If we're 
articulate and stuff like that, it's easy for us to find problems with everybody else's speech or uh, their ability to deliver versus saying, God, what am I doing with what you've placed on the inside of me? How am I stewarding what you've given me? We're going to receive communion. It's the last Sunday month. We do it every month. And as I was preparing and praying about this, I thought, man, what better Sunday to receive communion than when we talk about stewardship? When we talk about Jesus said, I gave my everything for you. I laid my life down for you. And when we receive communion, we talk about the body, the the bread is his body that was broken for us. The juice is the blood that was shed for us. What's that about? You know what it is? It's provision. Amen, preacher. It's provision for every area of our lives. The body was broken for our physical needs, uh, our emotional needs. The blood was shed for our spiritual needs, that it was poured out. Jesus didn't, God said he didn't hold back his son, his only son. How will he not with him freely give you all things? We talked about that some last week. But when we talk about stewardship, stewardship is all about being faithful with what God has given us. And you know what? That's relevant for everyone in the room. There's not a person in here today. I don't have to wonder. You know, sometimes I preach and I go, man, I wonder if that was really effective or if it made any impact in anybody's life, if it was relevant to anybody. This one, I don't have to wonder that. It's not because I'm that good. It's because one, it's his word and it can't return to him void. Two, it's not just his word, but every one of us are stewards. Whether you acknowledge it or not, you're a steward. Whether you uh, choose to do anything with it or not, you're a steward. And just as I said, when you look at... (laughs) The four guys that I was talking about, they're all up here, my dad's. I know he didn't do that intentionally, but... That's awesome. (laughs) Hey, I'm stewarding everything in this little body for the Lord. (laughs) For his honor and his glory. Amen. Every one of these young men used to be this tall to me. Not anymore. You're glad you, good thing you got that in your hand hair, dude. Thank you. What better Sunday to receive communion and to realize that God's entrusted us with his son. He said, don't you know that you were bought with a price? Therefore, glorify God in your body. He gave us his body so that we could live as his body on the earth. And so stewardship begins with me. It, it doesn't begin with money. It doesn't begin with talent. Uh, my, what the world sees is my talent or my time. It begins with me and me saying, Jesus, here's my everything. You know, when you start, listen, let's stand. When you start, when your grid, the foundation of your grid is this. When you start with the reality, Jesus, here's my everything. Are you with me? Everybody looking at me. When you, the worship team's coming back up here. I just want to keep you guys informed so you don't get worried. When you start with Jesus, you're my everything. Then the other things don't have the same weight that they used to in your life. 
If you start with Jesus, you're my everything, that my very life is the talent you've given me to steward first and foremost. If that's your foundation, if that's your grid of believing, and that's where you start from, then other things, if God says, hey, I want you to give this, I want you to do this, it's not that big a deal because I've already given him me. Are you with me? That's stewardship. At the root of what it is, it's saying, Jesus, here I am. And the beauty of communion is Jesus saying, church, here I am. And here's what I've given for you.